welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and we have David and Dr. Kevin Kakaro in the studio with us. Thanks, Tom. I'm always excited to do this show, and I'm particularly excited to do this show with a friend of mine, Kevin Kukaro, and he and I have become um, comrades in arms here trying to bring the message out to the world that chronic pain is a curable problem. But I'd like to introduce Dr. Kevin Kukaro. He's a pain, board-certified pain specialist, has some in-depth experience doing injections, et cetera. And what I'd like to do is actually have him discuss his journey from being a traditional pain specialist to where he's at now, but more importantly, what does he see as some of the solutions going forward that actually are effective in treating chronic pain? Kevin, welcome to the show. Sure. Thanks, David. I appreciate it for being here. So just get, we talked about this in the last podcast, but just give me a, just a brief background of your training and where you're at today. And you live in Oregon. I forget, you live in Corvallis, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. So anyway, just give us a really brief synopsis how you end up in Corvallis and uh, how you end up in the spot that you're doing, that you're at right now. Sure. We talked a little bit about this last week, um, but very, very quickly for people who haven't heard that episode is, so I, I residency trained anesthesia at the University of Chicago, fellowship in pain, University of Michigan, associate program director, Naval Medical Center, San Diego's pain fellowship program. That's all a way to basically say that, that I'm supposed to be the most well-known pain person in, in the medical community as a pain specialist. And after all that was said and done, I recognized that I didn't understand pain. And, and when that occurred, I was in private practice in Corvallis. I'd moved my family here, uh, thinking that it was the military model. It was the reason our patients got better. And uh, within the first year, when I started doing this deep plunge into to what is interventional pain medicine, what's the data on the procedures, and recognized that the data, again, if you're not paid to, paid to do them and you, and you do this, these same studies and look at the data, you very quickly recognize that injections for pain don't provide any long-term benefits. In fact, they're associated with substantial harms. Let, let, me, uh, stop you, let me stop you there just for a second, because I, I yeah. missed it in the first podcast. As far as I know, and I've not reviewed the literature for many years, I don't know of any study that shows epidural injections or percept blocks work for axial neck pain or back pain. Is that correct? It, well, I'll say it, it depends on what your definition of better is. So if, you're, if your definition is better is maybe four to six weeks of improvement, then we can say, oh, yeah, they work great. But it doesn't matter whether you put steroid or local anesthetic or normal saline in an injection. Really? Really. You, you can put in normal just water or, or uh, sugar water yep. and, um, and get the same results as with the steroid. No clinically significant differences. Okay. So the bottom line is cortisone injections have not been shown to be effective for solving pain. No. Okay. Radiofrequency neurotomy has not been effective for, for and, and this is, this, again, you have to have an, a definition of what better is because there's pain specialists out there who will say, we get short-term benefit with it. In fact, there's one guy, he's the head of a, a very active political specialty association, very big in lobbying, making sure that they contain their funding. And he's like, <laughs> I'll never forget because I'm on the email list still and they're like, yeah, these injections, may, they say they get better. And so it doesn't matter whether it's saline or not, because if they're saying they get better, we should, get, we should be doing more of them because they say they're better. And I'm like, well, no. What means that they're getting better is not because of the injection and there's harms associated with this stuff. So maybe we should actually figure out why they're getting better and do more of that 
rather than just doing all the garbage, you know, theatrics and, and, and ritual that's right. involved with it and right. say, well, be, you know, the procedure doesn't do anything, but let's do the ritual anyway so we can get paid and actually harm people with needles uh, because right. they say they're getting better. Then you and I both strongly agree one of the essences of actually healing chronic pain is the patient-physician relationship where a patient actually can feel safe. I, I think that the, the key part of, of, of people getting better from pain, any sort of pain, is the ability. The more safe you feel, whether it's acute pain, chronic pain, whatever, the less pain you're going to experience. Which means talking to your doctor. Have, uh, having a relationship with your healthcare provider is vital to that. I, I do want to say it, it doesn't mean you have to have a physician or someone to, so that you can get better from pain. Right. But yeah, absolutely. A therapeutic relationship. You know, the old days when, when people had their doctor for 40 years, and right. they can walk in and they can get a reassurance that, you know what, your back pain is not cancer. It's, you're going to get better with time. And, and they have that trusting relationship because they have known and they've, they trust and they, they have that relationship. If we can go back to that where people could actually practice good, you know, I can have a, have a healing relationship, we'd be in a better place now. Um, but no, that, that's extraordinarily important. That therapeutic relationship is a big deal. And Kevin and I have both been pretty heavily, I'll use the word beat up, penalized, whatever you want to call it, by our profession for actually taking time to talk to our patients. And I don't think it's really worth spending too much time on Kevin's story, but I'd like to spend more time now about the emergence of your group that you call the Paniacs. So I'll just say really quickly, maybe just tell us in two sentences about um, your experience in private practice and why you quit doing private practice. So private practice, what, what happened was um, you, you come to, a, you come to a, like it, it came to head. Number one, I knew what the injections didn't, that weren't working. I go, there's something wrong here. So then I went back to pain and I started actually studying pain. And when you look at that, and I didn't, even, I didn't even know as much then as I know now, but what I did, knew what didn't work and I knew what made pain worse. So promoting passive coping, uh, increasing what we would call biomechanical uh, pain beliefs, the idea that pain oozes like out, out of pus, out of structures or something like that. I'm, I'm sorry, um, say, say, I need to understand. Say that again, please. Okay, so biomechanical pain beliefs. The, the idea, if people believe that pain equals damage, that pain, like pain oozes like pus out of a structure. Right. And that's the words that we use in interventional, we call things pain generators, right? right. And we're gonna burn the pain nerves. Right. But the more people believe that, the worse they do. Right. And the more people um, uh, uh, don't feel they have, the less confident they feel in ability to manage or control their own pain, the worse they get. Right. And the more distress they experience, the worse pain gets. And right. so when you look at what my model was, what was I doing with an injection? I was promoting biomechanical pain beliefs because I was, quote unquote, injecting and, or burning pain generators. Right. I was reinforcing passive coping because if you're doing something to someone, the person who's in control of that therapy is the practitioner, not the patient. So I'm pulling away control of their pain from them. I'm decreasing their sense of self-efficacy. And a lot of the times I'm increasing distress. And so the choice was, do I continue to practice getting very well paid to do procedures that actually were making people worse because they made those fundamental risk factors worse over time or you do something else? And, and I, I don't want to say that was an easy choice. It should have been an easy choice, but it's not when right. you have family and mortgages. And, and, but I, I, I just very clearly, I remember that I was having panic attacks in the middle of the night. And, I, and there was like this one moment. I'm like, you can have a choice between... Are you going to be financially bankrupt or are you going to be morally bankrupt? 
because you right. can't forget this stuff. You, you know, right. and I've seen people do that. They kind of do this, this mental jujitsu and say, well, actually, you know, I know the injections don't work, but they need it to kind of break the pain. It's all BS. They're, right. they're, they're basically, they're, all they're doing is trying to make them feel, self feel better because we get paid to do the injections. Right. So, no, exactly. Uh, anyway, so that was, that, 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 that's where I, mm -hmm. I drew the line. And when, when you stop doing injections, your RVUs, your relative value units, start taking the plunge. And uh, right. very quickly, my medical group was like, well, you're not making any money. And I said, well, let me just show you the data. And if you want me to harm people for money, I'm not going to do that. And that we ended up parting. We ended up parting. How long have you been doing? And so this, can you explain briefly what you're doing now? You've been, that was about what, three years ago you started this? Oh, no, that was, that was a long time ago. That was, uh, that's six years ago. Wow. Almost, almost, almost six years ago now. Well, wow. so quick question. I know you and I met and you, I, I know you were, I'm, I mean, I had the same issue where I just thought I was losing my mind also because my surgeries weren't working and we were really harming people with these big operations. And it's been a huge journey for me also. But you hadn't really been exposed to, had you been exposed to Laura Mosley and, and her neuroscience pain when you first met me? Uh, he came after. And um, so what, what it happened is I think what most of us do or I guess the few of us that question the, man, the madness of the system is we start looking around and one of the top books that I saw was uh, Healing Back Pain from Sarno. So I bought that. And there was something, I'm like, some of this makes sense, but some of it doesn't. And then I got to, you know, Howard Schubiner, I bought his book and I talked to Howard. I bought your book and talked to you. But I, there was always these, these things that I wanted to know more about. And um, so I just kept reading and reading and reading. And then eventually I, that moved me into... Lorimer and David Butler's work and um, I still think I think Mosley is probably the top pain researcher in the world I have nothing but admiration for him but you know now I'm reading I, I just I'm reading mostly mostly scientific studies now there's not a lot of books that are published that that really have good stuff that I want to get All right so I feel good about this because um, I feel like I feel good about introducing Kevin to a whole new world of neuroscience which makes makes his journey really excellent but see I've now delegated the learning to you. You get to do all the research and actually teach me. But Kevin actually has honestly been one of my mentors. He introduced me to Laura Mosley a few years ago. We spent some time with him. Laura, Laura Mosley, he, by the way, <clears throat> his name is Lorimer Mosley. You'll see him on YouTube about how pain works. Wonderful TED Talk, very entertaining. Super nice guy. And we all have a various versions of, of essentially the same journey. That chronic pain has got your, your body says something's, your, something's painful because your brain says it's painful. Period. Period. Lots of, lots, of, lots of modification to that, but the bottom line is pain is a construct. It's a result of sensory input in your brain. Ah, sensory, emotion, and cognition. <laughs> okay. You can't, you can't ignore all, you have to put all three of them together. I, I agree. So that, there, there you go. So anyway, Kevin's become one of my teachers and one of the reasons I have him on the show, but you know, Kevin's done a wonderful amount of research, but what I really want to do is jump into some things that are happening that are positive. So, you, so you've been in, you're still in Corvallis. You've been there, what, five or six years. I'm sure you've been there longer, but you've been out of practice for that many years. And you're on a remarkably focused mission to bring these concepts out into the world. I'd like you to maybe just mention the, I got introduced to your group through, um, how did I meet Sharna? Was that through you? The, um, mm -hmm. the yep. PENIACs? Do you want yep. to have a PENIACs for a second? How that, how that happened and why, uh, why it's still thriving? So um, that's, that's, I'm going to try to keep that story shorter. But what, what basically happened is I, when I was leaving practice, I was 
extraordinarily distressed. Didn't know what I was going to do, but I had been, I started doing, I just figured I was going to talk. So I started doing, did some grand rounds and I was doing lecture talks to, to the residencies here. And, I, and our, uh, our family practice and our, and our, really the family practice residency, who they really care about their patients. I'm going to be right. blunt about it. They're yep. very interested in this. And so I continued to do that, continue to learn. And as I learned, I wanted to teach. And what basically happened is there was a chance for some grants in the area and um, a, couple, a couple of family physicians that I had been sitting with and talking with and, and wondering what to do. And they go, well, you should apply for a grant. And I had all these grandiose ideas about this, that, and the other thing. And they said, no, you need to get a grant to get paid to do what you're already doing, which is basically coming in and teaching doctors. So I got a grant and I basically went into 13 patient-centered primary care homes in our region in three different counties and started teaching the docs pain. And as I started teaching the docs pain, what I recognized is you can't, this is such a big problem. I I could get these docs starting to, to understand these concepts, but then they would refer patients out. And then as soon as the patient left our little protective community, they went somewhere else and they had a, another healthcare provider just immediately destroy it by giving them, reverting to your pain's coming out of your bulging disc and this and that. And there's nothing you can do. And I don't know why you're coming to see me. And one of the worst part, one of the worst encounters that happened when a doc um, referred to a physical therapist had a 45 minute discussion, got the patient involved, patient was bought in patient went to see a physical therapist and the physical therapist's first words were, I don't know why you're here. Your back has so much degeneration in it that nothing's going to work, but I guess we can try. So I got a second grant and I, with that grant, I went in and I started working with, with the physical therapist. And what was interesting with the physical therapist is um, they have more time to spend with their patients. Right. And I started having more of them kind of buy in. And with that was, uh, you mentioned Sharna Prasad, who we had, before I got my grant, I'd been meeting with her for over a year. And I, and I didn't know it at the time, but it was because she had actually had back pain. And she was trying to figure this out. And, and uh, she, likes, she's, she likes to say she was a slow learner. I think I was just a bad teacher. Uh, but it was about a year that we were meeting monthly and having discussions on pain. Then she went to her national conference and had another uh, physical therapist get in front and ask these questions about pain. And it was when she was in her peers, someone said pain is protection. And she said, all this stuff came together. And then she's like clicked, right. And she knew it. And so uh, with Sharna, who was a physical therapist, um, we, there, there was a, there was a social worker who had some pain groups who I heard really positive things about how she was interacting with her patients. So I just started reaching out to people I knew were working and were passionate about pain. And I sat down with her. That was Leanne Deitch, who I know you've met. Right. Um, and I, I started talking to her about pain and, and teaching her a little bit. And, and she, she completely revamped her curriculum into more of a, instead of this idea that there's nothing you can do about pain, you can only manage it and accept it. She started, uh, her program is now about how you can transform pain. It's not just about accepting it. It's accepting where you are so that you can start taking the act- actions in, in pursuing the activities that you need to do to get better. Right. And so Sharna, Leanne, and a couple others, uh, Lorimer was coming to Seattle in 2016, and uh, I got about five other members of our community. None of them ended up to be physicians. They were all ancillary health care providers. We went there to uh, the conference that Lorimer and David Butler were putting in. Actually, Mark Jensen from um, University of Washington was there, too. That's where I introduced you to Lorimer. We had right. the dinner that night, and the, the little cadre of people, when we were getting home, they were so fired up. 
because they go to this conference and we're sitting down and we're having these discussions and you, and you, you get excited because now this idea that there's nothing that you can do. And like you said, nobody likes to treat kind of pain. And I believe it's because they're so, they, they think there's nothing that can be done for it. Right. And, when, and someone's coming in your office and they, and you're, and you, people go into healthcare, most of them go to healthcare because you want to help people. Right. If you don't feel you have the tools or that you feel there's nothing that you can do, that frustration oftentimes that's very distressful as a practitioner. Right. The frustration oftentimes get, gets uh, reflected on the patient themselves, but it's really about us, not them. Right. And, and so this group got very excited. And so we, we formed a little organization at the time we called it the Mid Valley Pain Alliance. And we've been um, totally grassroots. There's about five of us. We started doing community talks, talking to, you know, doing lectures in different towns about monthly. And then as more of, more of the community started going through our pain programs, like Sharna's got a, a wonderful pain program out in Lebanon, Oregon. Leanne's got a fantastic pain program, uh, working with some really, really complex pain in Albany. And as patients started coming through these programs, again, not managing anymore, we're really th this mastery mindset, they get excited and they right. wanted to become involved. And so this little organization of Paniacs is now mostly non-clinical people. So, <laughs> well, make, make sure, okay, so you, that word slipped by pretty quickly. So what caught my attention is I think I heard from Sharna first, but it sounds like you were the person that maybe started the whole thing. You use the word paniacs. That's a pretty interesting word. I mean, why would, why, I mean, it implies being pretty excited about what you're doing. And I, I, um, I, I think it's fantastic. I mean, I love that word, paniacs. Yeah, it, because it is, is it, 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 if you get excited, it, it, um, in fact, um, the, the, the hardest part about it is you get so excited that people almost think you're in a cult. Like right, we have, exactly. we have, we have community members. These are people who like we, people who've had pain for decades who are doing so well, who their friends and family go, what has happened? You look great. And they go, it's pain. And you could come to these meetings and they get so excited and their friends right. are like, Whoa, stay away. You're scaring me because you're so passionate about that. <laughs> and it's like, right. cause they feel so good, you know? And, right. um, and you're not, and, 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 and and this goes beyond just the healthcare system is this idea that people are like, how could you be excited about pain? And I'll return to it. The more you understand pain, the more you see how these pieces fit, the more appreciative and the more amazing it is and the more excited you get. One thing that happens, which is sort of a paradox in that, I mean, I probably, probably have over a thousand patients now that have gone literally to pain free. And when I say pain free, it doesn't mean you get rid of the day to day pain that comes and goes, but the grip of pain loses its strength. You don't keep going to medical doctors over and over again for a cure. And what I'm excited about is that when you break loose of chronic pain, not only do you get your life back, but you thrive at a level that you've never experienced before in your entire life, way before you, even before you started having chronic pain. And your jobs, your relationships, going back to school, I mean, remarkable things happen. But also from the patient's standpoint, I mean, think about your doctor walking in the room and you're labeled a drug addict or lazy or whatever you are, somebody who's faking it. And people know the labels. They hate them. None of us like to be labeled. But then your doctor walked in the room and just excited to see you. That's a pretty big different interaction. It's huge. And I came out of my clinic every day, always inspired, excited every time. I agree with you. You have to temper your enthusiasm. But you take somebody or watch somebody. It's not me. It's them, right? We connect them to their own healing capacity. We think somebody's been in chronic pain for 5, 10, 15 years, all of a sudden they're free. I mean, it's beyond words. You don't know what to say. They can't say anything. I can't say anything. The record is a woman who's in chronic pain for 55 years. She's now been free for about six years. 
and she's 83 years now, 83 years old now, and just keeps thriving and thriving and thriving. Every year she looks better. It's unbelievable. What what are some of the, what are, what do you see in the next five years as far as some of the things that you're trying to do to get some of these concepts more out into the real world? So first question I'm going to ask you before the interview was I'm assuming in the Mid Valley Alliance that you're pricing fair number of changes within the valley over the last five years, correct? Uh, it's never as fast as you want. Right. It's never it's never as fast as as you as you want. We have more and pe- more people talking, and um, what. What I've sort of come to terms with is this is not something that the healthcare system is going to address anytime soon. That because, the, because why? There's no incentive to do so. So if you financially, there, there's no financial. And, if, and I, there's some interesting stuff. You like uh, Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's pre, uh, 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 compatriot, has got some phenomenal thinking papers. He talks about his thinkings, and one of the ones which I. I'm glad I didn't read six years ago because I probably would have stopped was never try to fight incentivized behavior because you're going to lose every time. In a healthcare system, there is absolutely no incentive to change the paradigm that we have because the payments don't line up. Right. So it's not going to be the healthcare system, but from a community standpoint, what gets exciting is the more you understand pain, the more you can take care of your, it's like and for us, it's, it's no longer just about pain. It's about your health. Cause it starts, doing the steamroll and then it starts into other healthy behaviors into the thriving behaviors and for a community that's good and so what um we i don't i just don't think the, the change is not going to come from the healthcare system the change right. they're going to be the last ones to change it's going to come from communities uh and you just need strong communities that actually start seeing the hope not the stuff about you know and, and I, i'm gonna i hope nobody listening to this gets offended but this idea i'm sick of these organizations saying people with pain can't get better you have to give us more drugs. You know, we have to do all this more do because we can't get better. That's not true. Just right. stop for a moment and question those fundamental beliefs because they haven't been working. Take a moment and just say, what if I'm wrong? Go back to the science, start challenging that stuff. And what happens is you can, it, it, we need more organizations to be more pro pain rather than pro drug, pro surgery, pro whatever. Right. right. Yeah, and uh, that's, that's a little bit harder um, I think, cause I think we're really at the head. Of, I think we're at the tip of the spear. That's just starting to get a little bit of momentum in small little pockets. For the listeners, I went to, a, I gave a lecture to a conference where Kevin and I were both lecturing a, a few months ago to the, the Mid Valley Pain Alliance. And there's, there's about 100, 120 people in the room, a lot of primary care physicians, et cetera. And the energy in the room was just unbelievable. I mean, I was so excited about that. Kevin gave a wonderful pain talk. I was able to talk about really the insanity of what we're doing in surgery. Then was it who was the one that presented those patients who were doing so well? There's five patients or four patients that stood up and told their story. Who who, uh, who was that from? So uh, Joletta Bel- Bolton, who right. she's out in Colorado. She's not she she's not in our group, and so she right. she comes in because she has a different story. And but she was very good good and gracious about kind of being the MC for that event. Right. But then we had Tom Kaur, who was one of um, one of the first people to go through Sharna's program, the, the mindfulness uh, medita- movement in um, pain science program. We had Cindy Orr, who uh, a young woman who had crushing headaches, thought she was going to die, was diagnosed with, I think, lupus and other autoimmune conditions on 19 medications. She's on nothing now. And she runs a horse rescue for traumatized horses and is really involved with the community. Right. And I think um, I think Mo Forrest was there as well. She's our 74 year old who had pain since she was 14 and she's like our super thriver. She runs 
she runs two or three different groups for uh, community members who've gone through programs, values groups and goal groups and pain groups and stuff. Uh, and I think those are the people that were involved in that talk. You know, I, I just had this thought today. I mean, one of the negative prognostic factors for chronic pain, by the way, is belong to a pain support group because you end up talking about the pain all the time. And I just started thinking about why not form a wellness support group? Yeah. When, right? I mean, I yeah. mean, you're in pain, but you can't solve pain. You have to move into wellness. But again, you and I could talk for days on this. But Kevin, this is fantastic. I think we'll probably do a few more interviews like this here in the next few months. Um, this is fantastic. I, I, I think Kevin and I are here both to say that chronic pain is a solvable problem. You don't have to live with it. The neuroscience is right there. What, I, what, what is called mainstream medicine actually is not mainstream medicine. They actually are not following the known data at all. And it's really remarkably unbelievable what we're doing. Essentially, every procedure we offer in spine care, I'll speak for just for spine care, has been documented to be ineffective. The treatments that do work, and there's plenty of them that do work, are actually not covered by insurance. And right now, we're just simply not giving people adequate care. Mainstream medicine, mainstream medicine, if you want to call it that, has no leg to stand up. They're actually way, way off base. But we're here to tell you chronic pain is a solvable problem. Any, any other final thoughts, Kevin? No, I, I would I would absolutely and 100% agree with you. I, I would say, though, if there's somebody listening that wants to be critical, whether they say, well, all those, those non-surgical, non-intervention, non-drug things have low levels of evidence, and that's true. Um, I would say that the low level of evidence have to do with the model that most of them teach. The yeah. idea, if you, if you go in thinking that pain can't change, and so you're going to teach someone, go through an ACT program or do CPT, and just tell people that they can't do anything about it and they have to think differently, it's not going to work really well. Absolutely. But even if that was the case, low value, non-interventional, non-dangerous care, non-side effects versus low or no value, highly invasive spine surgery, injections, or drugs, which one would you actually think you should pay for? Right. Yep. So exactly right. Now, and the other thing that I find, I mean, again, people are excited. They really do go to, they really come out of the groups of chronic pain. But when they look backwards, it's disturbingly simple actually how to do it. It's not very hard, no risk, not expensive. And again, that's a different discussion about how you actually do this, but it's, it's disturbingly simple compared to what everything you've been put through that makes no sense at all. But Kevin, well, thanks again. It's always good talking to you. And we'll obviously stay in touch here in the near future, but thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, David and Kevin, thank you again for another insightful episode and uh, an exciting uh, new approach to pain. And I want to remind our listeners to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And remember to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.